So I want to start with a story that's going to help us connect to our passage of Scripture. I want to tell you a story uh, about Jennifer. Jennifer. Jennifer, when she was having her fifth child, when she was in labor, everything about the experience felt different to her. She ended up having a very prolonged labor because her baby did not descend properly. And it was very difficult for her to, she, was in a, she lives in a rural town in Zambia, and it was very difficult for her to travel to the closest medical center. But one, by the time she did get to the hospital, she was in extreme pain. And there at the hospital, a double tragedy occurred. Firstly, her child was stillborn. Secondly, she was afflicted with a terrible medical condition called obstetric fistula, I think that's how you say it, which is a permanent opening that happens from prolonged labor, unattended prolonged labor. And the result of this is chronic incontinence and a foul smell that never goes away. And Jennifer was desperate, absolutely desperate. She returned to her community, but she was shamed by her community. She was abandoned by her husband. She says she had to cut bits of cloth, old cloth, to use as protection. She regularly, very frequently, had to change her clothes. She stopped going out in public, going to public events and places, and she was suffering in a, a deep, very deep, very sad way. She, what she was afflicted, afflicted by happens in very rem, typically in remote areas where there's not access to, to health care, where there are poor environments, resource-poor environments, and typically in sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia, these things tend to happen where there's just not the access, but even if there is access to medical facilities, it can be people don't necessarily have the transportation to get there in time, depending on the medical emergency. And it had been 23 years that Jennifer suffered from this really isolating, really shameful medical condition. She'd lost almost all hope. But one day, out of the blue, something happened. Something changed that changed everything for her. Let me pause it there. I'll tell you the conclusion of it at the end of the sermon, but it's going to relate to our passage today. So we're in our series called The Real Jesus, and this is a long-term journey through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we started this last year. I think this is Sermon 15, so we're taking it in chunks. So we might do this up until Easter, roughly, and take a little break and then come back to it another time. But uh, we're continuing to go through it. If you want to get caught up, you can go to tri.church slash Mark, M-A-R-K, and uh, our sermons will be listed there. We're going to be in chapter 3, verse seven today, and we have Bibles in our pews. If you don't have a Bible, take that and keep it. It will be on the screen as well. And the reason we're doing this journey is because to discover the real Jesus, he's only found on the pages of the New Testament. Not the Jesus of our imagination, not the Jesus of popular culture, not the Jesus of certain theological persuasions, but the Jesus of the Bible. So let's pray and then let's get into this. Lord, we ask you for your spirit to be here with us, to illuminate your word. 
that we would fall in love with you all the more, that we would know you all the more, that we would understand you all the more and all that you're about and all that you've done for us, and all that we would be all the more free and that we would be restored for your purposes. Lord, teach us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, continuing on from last week. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. This is God's word. So what we've seen so far as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark is Jesus facing great opposition from the religious leaders of his day. They're questioning him. They're trying to trap him. Now they're plotting to kill him. We looked at that last week. And even Jesus has to withdraw and recuperate. Even Jesus needs a bit of a break. It shows us here this, the importance of retreat. Even the Son of God himself needed to retreat. He's embattled. He's weary of this fight with these religious leaders who are continually challenging him, continually accusing him, trying to trap him in his words. And so he withdraws to the sea, goes on a little seaside resort kind of situation here for a break with his disciples. And it proves the point. It shows the point to us that, that it's okay to retreat sometimes, to, to rest. We looked at Sabbath rest. That's come up in previous weeks. It's okay to do that. Now, Jesus doesn't get to rest in this moment. That's the intention. The intention's there. The, the lesson's there. But unfortunately, the crowd comes crashing in from all around, from all around. The people come in. But it, the point is still there that it is good to plan to retreat, that you're in a spiritual battle, you're in a spiritual warfare. For us in the city of Chicago, it's an amazing city. I love this city. There's so many great things about it, but we're in a spiritual struggle. We're in a spiritual battle. And I think um, the things, you know, some of the things I love about our city, I love the, the sea of humanity, the diversity we have here, the culture we have here, the food we have here. People particularly like the food we have here. You know, the, um, the buildings, man, I love the architecture. It's like the buildings have like a life of their own. Like they're like people almost. Like they're possessed with personalities somehow. I don't know how to, don't want to be too weird about saying that, but you, know, you understand what I'm saying. But there's, there's something magical about the history and the, the, the character of it, the heritage here. There's something amazing about it. There's so many lost people here. Our light can shine the brightest here. So many amazing things, but there's still there's a spiritual battle. There's a there's a war that's waging for the hearts and minds of the, the people. For who, who will be victorious in this city, in this place that we live? And of course, we want it to be the kingdom of God in this place being victorious. And so we're fighting this battle. And so it's so important. Our, our family, the way we've been able to sustain our enthusiasm about Chicago is going on retreats. Sometimes you've got you to withdraw. You've got to say, hey, we've got to get 
some downtime. We've got to go, go away for just a little bit, a little break, so that when we come back, we're re-energized. We're excited again to come back into the city. I love driving back into the city and seeing the skyline and seeing the place that God's called us to and saying, like, that's our city. God's called us there. God's reinvigorated our hearts for it. And it's not just about getting relaxation. It's about getting away to get a touch from Jesus, like these people crowding in, desperate for a touch from Jesus. There's rhythms in the life from the kingdom of God. There's rhythms of work and then rest, but also of trust, because sometimes your planned recuperations get interrupted. God does that sometimes. And if you ever get interrupted, you know, like, I'm trying to Sabbath, I'm trying to rest, I'm trying to get a break here, God, I, I'm beat up, I'm embattled, I'm worn out from the, the spiritual turmoil around me. If, if you're in that place and it gets interrupted, other people are crashing in on it, you've got to, hey, it happened to Jesus. Anything that happened to Jesus can happen to us. You have to recognize, all right, God, you've got strength for me in this moment. It's not just about work and, and rest, it's also about trust. Okay, God, got the strength for this moment. The, the, the crowd's pressing in, or these demands are coming on me again. How, how can I find the energy from God in this moment? And what we see here is we see that the ministry of Jesus is unstoppable, completely unstoppable. He had massive resistance from the, the religious elite and the establishment, pushing back, resisting, ignoring, trying to destroy him and plotting to kill him. But uh, we should be encouraged by these these numbers, we're not giving exact numbers, it just says, you know, I guess when the crowd's too big to count, you just say, a great crowd, you know, it's a lot of people. And it lists all these places here, Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea is 120 miles south. People are desperate, people are, are flocking in. We should be super encouraged by this, that even though there are some, there are many hearts that are hard, the Pharisees' hearts are closed, their hearts are hard, there are people we're trying to reach, people we want to hear the gospel of Jesus, but they just won't listen, they're not hungry, their hearts are hard, we should be super encouraged. There are people who are ready, who are hungry, who want to listen. There are. They come out, they come out, you don't, you don't always, they're not always the people that you know, they come from long distances sometimes, people will put in the distance, people will travel the distance, because they say, yeah, this is I'm desperate for a touch, for relief, whatever it takes to get relief from my pain or to, to touch God, whatever it takes. And there's a, a great point here that whoever we're trying to bless, whoever we're trying to reach, that if they won't hear, we can have faith, we can continue on in the mission because they say, well, there's somebody else around the corner. There's somebody else who will respond. Keep sowing the seeds, keep pouring out the message, the message of grace, the grace of Jesus, the gospel of the good news. Keep pouring it out because there's hearts that are ready. God is working. He's always at work. And there's this wonderful truth that we see in this dichotomy of there's resistance from some, pushback from some, spiritual battles from some. That's an, an ominous cloud. It's a, a storm, if you will. Jesus is in the, He's been in the tempest. He's been in the storm. He's trying to get away to the, the seaside resort, away to a little respite. Hey, let's have a little break here, trying to get away from the storm. And now there's huge blessing and ministry success. Now the crowds are coming. People are desperate for a healing, desperate for a touch, desperate to hear from Jesus. There's this amazing dichotomy that we see here that right before the harvest comes, that's when the storm is, right? Those ominous storm clouds, you have to have them to have a harvest. You can't grow crops. You can't sow these seeds and see a breakthrough and see something happen without 
the rain first coming without those gloomy days, without those overcast days when you're like, where's the sun? Somebody said this morning, I can't wait for the sun to come back. Those gloomy days, those stormy days, storms set you back there, frightening, like what's going to happen in the storm? But as soon as the storm has passed, you realize the ground has been watered. Now the growing can begin. You can't have growth without gloom. It goes before. The opposition is the very thing that leads to this opportunity with Jesus. It's the same for us. It works exactly the same for us. The way we live our lives, mimicking the life of Jesus, we should not expect anything different. We should not. The, the, the student is not beyond the master. Jesus said that himself. So all these people from all these places are coming. They're gathering in. They're gathering in. They're desperate for Jesus. The religious leaders have rejected Jesus. But the great thing is that the message is not just for them. It's not just for the Jewish people of the day or even the Jewish elites of the day. It's for everyone. And so this diverse group of people, Jews and Gentiles alike, people from different backgrounds, people with different dialects, people with different nationalities, people from different towns and locations, this crowd, it mentions all these places here, this crowd, they descend, they come in around, flocking around Jesus. And it just shows us this wonderful picture of how Jesus breaks down barriers. Jesus brings all kinds of people together. And, and, and all those ethnic barriers and all those tensions between people, they, 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 they kind of disappear when Jesus is the object, when, when he's the thing we're going for. And that, that's the point of this illustration here, or, the, or the, 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 the event that's happening here is illustrating the point of this, that as you gather around Jesus, all those barriers break down. And the, the question is, if we, if we have judgments, if we have issues against fellow believers, because, well, they're a different, different color than I am, or they from a different place than I am, they're different values than I have, they vote differently to me, or all these different things that we tend to divide over. What we've got to understand is this, if you're aiming at Jesus, if your goal is Jesus, you get closer to everybody else aiming at Jesus. And so if there are things between us, then it actually is a sign to us, maybe I'm not aiming at Jesus. Because when you aim at Jesus, great crowds come together, all kinds of people come together. See, there's an idea in our culture and in our time that Christians must be reconciled if you're of different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different nationalities, different shades. And I've got to tell you, unless you have intentionally sinned against somebody and you need to be reconciled, what Scripture actually teaches us is this, that if you're in Christ, you are already reconciled. That is the work of the gospel. So we have to get rid of imaginary barriers between people, because in Jesus, all those barriers are broken down. If you're in Christ, if you meet somebody, you believe in Jesus and you meet somebody, it doesn't matter their background, doesn't matter their age, doesn't matter anything about them that could be different than you, you are reconciled with them through the work of Jesus on the cross. This is the beautiful image of the kingdom of God being expressed right here. And it comes out of people's desperation and their need. They're desperate for Jesus, and so they're seeking Jesus, and because of that, they all come together. That's how it works. So we have to reject the idea that we're just automatically opposed to each other or there are differences between us, unless there specifically are, unless you have sinned in mindset and attitude, then deal with that, deal with that sin. But in Jesus, we're, we're reconciled and he, he brings us together, brings so many people, he's reaching so many people. And what well, we see this opportunity to, to minister to this crowd, to share the message with the crowd, to pray for those who are sick, for those who are sick to press in and to touch him. We see 
in this opportunity, we see great trouble. In this opportunity, we, we, we see uh, this, this great trouble that's emerging. Jesus is worried that he's going to get crushed. Now, actually, um, the Greek term here for this, when it says that they're basically pressing in or the, the crowd is coming in, it has a hint to it of uh, people falling upon Jesus, almost like a mob situation, like the crowd is falling upon him. They're mobbing him. And so Jesus is rightly concerned. And this comes out of their desperation. And I, I hope that we realize our need for Jesus, our desperation, how much we need him. Maybe we don't have the physical ailments that these people have, but you see the, the, the physical issues that people have oftentimes is a, is a direct connection to people realizing how much they spiritually need God. It's oftentimes not until people lose their health, lose their wealth, lose their stability in life, lose their, their job, lose a relationship. Something happens and you suddenly realize how fragile you are, how much in need you are. Sometimes that's the best thing that could ever happen to you is you lose some of the most important things in your life to realize how much you need God and only God. And so we see it in this situation. The people are oppressing in and Jesus is now with this great opportunity, but also this great trouble. And it, the point comes, as I was reflecting on this passage, the point comes, one point that comes through is the idea that as fallen human beings, as people who want blessings and want breakthroughs and want adulation and want success and we want to be loved and we want to do well in our work and we, we want all these good, big, better things in our lives, but we don't necessarily want the challenges that those things will bring in our lives. We want all the good stuff, but we don't want necessarily the responsibilities that will come with all those things. And even Jesus, as the Son of God, cannot escape the trouble of success. Even Jesus can't escape it. The trouble of success. Do you understand that? Do you understand there's trouble in things going well in your life? A lot of people might, if you, depending on what kind of preaching you listen to, you might be surprised to hear this. You might say, I, I thought we're all just supposed to be like getting better all the time and getting more stuff and just being more blessed and everything. You're just happier over time. Isn't that just be, supposed to be the, the trajectory? Well, maybe, maybe for some. And life's there are peaks and valleys, but there's trouble in success. And so we, we kind of suffer from this grass is greener mindset where we say everything else is better somewhere else. If only I had this thing and that thing and you know, it's embarrassing. I've got to confess to you. Maybe I mentioned this one other time, but I've got to confess to you, so, you know, a great, grave sin in my life of uh, watching travel blogs sometimes. And, uh, you know, got, got hooked up in this for a little bit of time, guys. Uh, and, you know, watching, you know, watching, uh, sick, I tell you, sick. So uh, uh, people who travel around the world going to resorts around the world, this is their job. This is their YouTube channel. They make money vlogging about their life. They go to luxury resorts. They get paid to do this. How sick is this? They just have constant fun on all the slides and all the different things and experiences and spa treatments and I don't know. European libraries, they get all the, yeah, I've been, I've been, I've been lusting after European libraries recently, actually, it's true. I know, man, good library, I don't know what it is. It's just like, Something magical about that. That's weird. It's a weird thing. But it, this is the problem. You see, this is the, this is, this, this is the problem. It's like oh, we, we, we want better things in our lives, but we're unwilling to take on the challenges 
and, and the, the drawbacks, and we're, we're unwilling to see the problems that those other things bring. Because you've got to understand, every stage of life is just a different set of problems. So here's a better question to ask. Rather than, what, what outcome do I want in my life? What, what are all the great stuff I want, the better job I want, better relationship I want, more money I want, all these different things. Instead of asking those questions, here's a smarter, wiser question we should ask. What set of problems do I want to choose? What set of problems am I willing to face? It's a better question. Because those problems don't go away. In fact, some of them get worse. Or you have new problems. Oftentimes, bigger problems. See, popularity will crush you. You want to be popular? Well, Jesus is about to get crushed. I mean, literally, a crowd can be exciting, also deadly. Not just physically, but also what does fame do to people? How, I mean, honestly, celebrities are like the strangest, most screwed up people you'll ever meet. Ruined by fame. We idolize them. We're like, they're amazing people. No, they're not. They're hor- most of them say the most disgusting, horrible things. But the values of Hollywood? Give me a break. Do we want those problems? Are we willing to face those problems? Popularity will crush us. What about... Jesus here, though, he's popular for the best reason because he's serving people. He's alleviating people's suffering. That's the best reason to be popular is because you can actually help people. You can, you can be a blessing to people and they'll come and find you. They'll come and they want something from you and you can help them in that way. And you know that it's not tainting Jesus because he wants to withdraw from it. He wants to recharge from it. He's not doing it for the adulation. Isn't that amazing? The God of all glory, the God who should get all the glory, the God who accepts worship and wants worship, how humble, how amazing that he says, well, I got to, it's, it's not about the popularity. I've got to withdraw, be with my disciples, or be alone with the Father. See, getting all that money might be the worst thing that could happen to you. Getting that coveted career position or that new role, it's going to bring a lot more scrutiny into your life. Are you ready for those problems? It's a lot of problems. You ready for that? That, that bigger house or that better place, that better location, whatever it is, that, hey, look, you get a bigger place, you know what that means? That means more taxes, more maintenance, more cleaning, more furniture, right? More hosting, more people like, hey, you got more room, want to come over, right? All kinds of more utilities, more shouting at people. You know, the bigger your place is, the further away people are from you. You have to, have to shout more at people further away. Are you ready for that? Because of Jesus' ministry success, because of the blessing of God, because now the word's getting out, because now people like Jesus can heal, and he's saying all these incredible things, the crowd is coming in, it creates all this trouble, it creates all this, this turmoil, creates danger. And Jesus is like, I need a boat right now. The, the one thing I need right now is I need a boat. Now, we're normally supposed to be suspicious of preachers who are like, buy me a boat, buy me a plane. Typically, we should be nervous about that. But Jesus just needs it temporarily. He wants to borrow it temporarily. And the beautiful thing about ministry is and about life with Jesus is, is that the blessings of God create challenges that then he calls us to respond to, to, be, to find solutions to. To say, oh, to, to be thinking ahead of time, like, okay, if God blesses this, if God moves on this, if God fills this thing or touches this thing, okay, that's going to create some other challenges. We're going to be ready, Jesus. It's not just Jesus, that, and he's, he's not going to be around the whole time. His disciples are going to have to take on his ministry, and they're going to have to get street smart like Jesus and say, we've we got crowd control problems right now. We need a boat. And Jesus gives us stuff because he wants to use it. He wants to borrow it. 
And that can be, it's a, sometimes it's annoying when people want to take your stuff all the time. Like, get your own stuff. Like, stop touching my stuff. You know, I've got my, I've got my stuff because I want my stuff. And as a Christian, what you have to understand is everything that comes into your life, whether it's a gift or you buy it, you basically have to determine, you have to do a gut check every time. And you have to say, man, if I'm going to own this thing, dang it. What it means is it means Jesus might ask me to lend it to somebody. Whatever it is, he might ask me to lend it to somebody. And that's, that's, that's hard. Jesus loves to borrow stuff. He borrowed this boat, borrows a donkey, borrows a grave. Jesus is a borrower, you know? Thankfully, you only need the grave for a couple of days, a few days. That, was, that, was, that worked out well for that guy. He's like, I got my grave back. That's helpful. I need that later on. But, it, but, it, but anything we have is, is, is in the hands of Jesus and, and is useful for ministry. The blessing and the success of ministry brings new problems, new challenges that are like, oh my gosh, I didn't count on this. And we have to grow and, and not be children in our thinking and be, be adults in our thinking and say like, okay, bigger blessing and bigger things brings bigger responsibilities and bigger challenges. It's not like things are just supposed to get easier. Actually, the further you go, the deeper you go, things get harder. They get harder. It's life. Let's wake up to it. It's the way it works. And Jesus says, okay, we've got some challenges. I'm going to borrow this from you. I'm going to borrow this from you. I'm going to borrow this from you. We're going to make something amazing. We're going to figure it out. And we want to move from a sense of like, well, I'm, I'm surprised that things are harder to, of course, things are going to be harder to, I'm enthusiastic to find solutions to the things that are harder. I got a boat. I got a donkey. I got a grave. Whatever it is, Jesus, you can borrow it. I'm here to respond to the, the needs of your kingdom. And this situation here is about safety. Jesus is concerned for his own life. He's concerned for his own safety. And I think if Jesus is allowed, the Son of God, who rose from the dead, who is indestructible, if he's allowed to be concerned for his own life and his own safety, we can be a bit concerned about safety issues. Can, can, we, can I get an amen on that? That we, could, we can be concerned about? Because what bothers me sometimes is Christians who are like, oh, just trust the Lord. I mean, what would you say to Jesus in this situation? Jesus, just trust yourself. You're the Lord. Just trust the Lord yourself, and everything's going to be okay. It's like, no, we need a boat right now because this is dangerous. I was thinking about this for our church. How does this work for our church? Like, you know, how do we increase our safety? You know, there, there, there are safety concerns. Um, before the pandemic, we had a bit of a security team, and some, a lot of our serving teams kind of evaporated, and we had to rebuild some of them over the last few years. And I was like thinking about this and thinking, you know, we need some crowd control. We need some, some security at Trinity Church again. We want to protect our church. Hey, I don't think we're in grave, you know, imminent danger. But you want to be ready for that, that one random situation that comes up. Uh, there are crazy people, right? There are crazy people. And uh, God blesses people with certain skills and certain techniques. We need some Liam, Liam Neesons around who will take people out. And uh, in, in the most loving Jesus way you could imagine. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we already got a lot of volunteers on different teams, so maybe some new volunteers around want to help me start a security team so we can protect, you know, our church, protect our most vulnerable, protect our children. You know, we want to we be thoughtful about this. Jesus is concerned about practical things. Ministry is about prayer. It is about spiritual things. It's about theology. It's about truth. It's about discipleship. It's about relationships. Of course, there's all these things that it's about. It's about ministry and the Holy Spirit. There's all these things it's about, but it's also practical. There's also practicalities to it. Like There, there are just things you have to take care of. There are responsibilities that come up. And safety is, is one of them. Jesus is concerned for his own life. 
the crowds are crushing, mobbing, pressing in. And they're pressing in because they're concerned about their lives. These people are desperate, almost like this story that we started with, with, with Jennifer, somebody who, people who are afflicted with terrible ailments and terrible diseases and people who just have no other hope. They're pressing into Jesus. And actually, you see, you see this. You see, it's hard for us to understand what this, this dynamic, what this is like reading this in the text of the Bible because I think people in our day, like people who do missionary work, people who go to other countries, they're, they're more in tune with this. People who go abroad, um, people you know, who've gone to, to, to more remote parts of the world, poorer parts of the world, where there isn't a lot of healthcare, you know, missionaries, um, They'll go maybe even with, you know, praying for the sick and, and, and doing, you know, deliverance ministry, seeing people freed from demons. I'll talk more about demons in, in future weeks. We'll, we'll get into that too. But, um, you know, even Baptists see this kind of stuff happen. It's amazing. I love it. So they have to keep it quiet, though, otherwise they lose their funding when they come home. But even Baptists will see supernatural demonic things, you know, people released from demons, supernatural healing. They'll see it. And, so people, and people will crowd and people will flock in because they're without hope. And they're hearing the name of Jesus, and they're hearing that there's power in the name of Jesus. Some missionaries go in as well with medicines. Some people go in on medical trips, and they'll have a clinic, and they'll do all kinds of different things. And people flock in because they say, I'm suffering. I need healing. I need health. And people will flock in. They'll hear the message of Jesus. They're being reached by these, these missionaries. They're desperate for their, a touch from God. And the question for us, the, seeing the desperation of these crowds, I mean, would, would we do this? Because not everyone did. The Pharisees resisted. Not everyone's crowding in on Jesus. Would we? Are we these kinds of people that recognize our need? You see, see, we can't just be interested in Jesus. It's not just enough to just be like, Jesus just piques my intellectual curiosity. He's just a fascinating person. You know, I'm getting a little bit of a spiritual hunger inside. Do we understand how desperately without God we are nothing and we have nothing? We have no hope of eternity, no hope of life after death. But with Jesus, we have all the hope there is, all the freedom there is, all the joy there is. Are we, we've got to go beyond just mere interest and, and even just, I'm just going to go along with the crowd, well, the crowd's going, so I'll go along with the crowd. It's got to be more than that. It can't just be I'm going to stand shoulder to shoulder with other people who have touched Jesus we need to lean in and touch Jesus. We need to be desperate for his touch to solve our problems, to, stop, to touch our pain. Anything, it's not convenient. You know, the crowd pressing and other people are getting their time and their peace of Jesus. It's hard. You've got to walk 120 miles sometimes in pain, in difficulty. But are you desperate to get your touch from Jesus? To realize he's the only healer there is. All healing comes from him. We need a touch from Jesus, are we willing? Do we see it? Are we aware of our spiritual need for Jesus? You know, these demons, they can't touch Jesus. They're rejected by him. And we see this amazing dichotomy here, actually, that the, the crowds of the people, they, they come out from all around and they fall upon Jesus. They're coming out from everywhere. They fall upon Jesus. The demons are coming out from their, their stations, wherever they are in the, the vast spiritual world. They're coming out, they're crowding around, but instead of being able to press in to touch Jesus, they're pushed down by Jesus. We can press in, they're pressed down. We can touch a holy God, think of it. It's, it's almost unthinkable. Sinful, evil people are given permission. This is how much we're favored. This is how much God wants to save people. We are allowed even in the fallen state of our sinful humanity, we are allowed to come in and touch a holy God. 
compared to demons who have no redemption, no hope, there's no gospel for them. They are not allowed in, they're not allowed close, they are crushed, they are pressed down. What a joy to know. That's the difference between God coming in our flesh, coming like us, so that we can touch him. He didn't come to save angels, fallen angels, he came to save fallen people. You and I. I mean, it's, it's a shocking thing to think about. There's, as we're going through this passage, there's so much to learn from it. The opportunities that lead to, the opposition that leads to the opportunity. The, the gloom that leads to the growth. It's, we, we see it there. We see the joining together. As, we, as Jesus is our object and our faith, we, we join with other people. People that we might in the world be completely disconnected to. But in Jesus, we're fully reconciled with him. We see Jesus calls us to bring our boats and whatever he wants to borrow from us. And we also see, though, that Jesus is calling out deep faith from our hearts. A deeper faith from our hearts. This, this crowd pushing in, people trying to touch him, it's an image of the nature of the work that Jesus has come to do. Because your healing is, is actually a physical symbol, if you will, of spiritual salvation. So when people are physically healed, it's a sign of the kingdom of God, of what God wants to do in your heart. Right? You get physically healed, you're restored, well, that's the work that Jesus wants to do in your heart. He wants to restore you spiritually to him, forgive you of your sin, cleanse you completely, set you free from the powers of darkness. He wants to do it. And in their pressing in, they are not doing a work of righteousness. They're not accumulating good works. Pressing through the, the crowd, mobbing Jesus is not an act of righteousness. What is it? It's an expression of faith. And this is a beautiful sign, a wonderful sign that shows us the nature of salvation is that we get to God not because of good things we do, not because we try really hard, but we get there because what we're saying is we're saying, I know I can't do it. I know there's only one that can do it. And if I can just touch him, he can do it. He can do what I cannot do. Reaching out to try to touch Jesus is an admission of faith. I cannot save myself. I cannot heal myself. I cannot restore myself. Only Jesus has the power to do it. And if I can just touch him, there's so much power there everything will change. Everything will change. Everything changed for these people. That's the gospel message. That's the good news message. It's not based on your works. It's based on that, that invisible thing in your heart that says, only he can do it. I have to throw myself. I have to mob God and throw myself on his mercies to see what he will do, to see how he'll redeem me. What happened to our friend Jennifer, who was afflicted with this terrible medical condition and suffering for 23 years. Well, her life changed, but this time for the better. I think it was in February of 2017, she was listening to the radio. And there was an advertisement, an announcement on the radio that talked about a new medical procedure that had been pioneered that was now available at the closest hospital to her that was specifically, exactly for her medical condition. She couldn't believe it. She called the number that was given over the radio. She booked an appointment there and then on the phone. She'd been suffering for 23 years, desperate. Nobody could help her. She was warned on the call, well, because you've had this condition for so long, you know, the results of, the, of, of the, the surgery may not be the best. So just be prepared, you know, we'll do what we can. 
Well, it seems that the surgeon that saw her must have been a miracle worker because they were able to completely restore her condition and completely heal her through the surgery. And this is what Jennifer said in response to this. We have this quote from her. I believe we have a quote from her. She said this. She said, I'm now living without fear or shame. God works through people. God works through people. Just like in the passage here, people are desperate to be freed from their afflictions. Jennifer, desperate to be freed from her afflictions. You know, we live in a day and age, it's hard for us to understand the times of the New Testament because we have, you know, our healthcare system is screwed up in many ways, but it is very advanced as well. And all the medicines we have and all the procedures we have and all the, the, how available and how accessible it is. You know, you have an emergency, you can get help almost immediately. You can call an ambulance. You can all kind of, it's, it's amazing the systems and the structures we have in place. And actually all of that healthcare grew out of the Christian faith. It's all a direct result of the work and the life and the ministry and the teachings of Jesus. That's why hospitals they were started by Christians to bring healing in the world. A lot of people don't know their history, don't understand without Christianity, you wouldn't have hospitals. It all, it's a, it's a, hospitals are a Christian thing. Every time you were in a hospital, you've got to thank God. God, this is like your finger on earth, the outgrowth of the ministry of Jesus. But we also have to realize that we haven't solved everything and people are still desperate. We've got lots of mental health problems. People are desperate, emotionally desperate. We also have all the complications of we're over-medicated too. So we've now we've got complications, we've got side effects from our medication. You know, all the, almost got, sometimes some people have too much health care. We have all these challenges to it. We have a God who wants to heal, a God who wants to bring relief, a God who wants to restore, a God who wants to show his love to us. And he heals in many ways. Sometimes it's through a doctor's hand. Sometimes it's divine. The divine healing, we can pray for it. We can, we can pray and fast for it. We can seek God for it. We can press into that. Ultimately, that's in his hands. There are times of breakthrough and healing. Ultimately, it's in his hands. But the point of this story, the point of Jennifer's story, the point of the passage today is to ask the question, how can I be the hands and feet of Jesus? Am I the person with the boat? There's a crisis. There's a safety issue. What do I have that I can contribute? I'm not a healer like Jesus was. I can pray, I can trust, I can hope. But what can I do? Can I alleviate medical debt that somebody has? Can I get people together to say, this person's been afflicted with a sickness and they've got this medical debt. How can I be the hands and feet of Jesus to help alleviate that debt that they have? That'd be a way to be very Christian to somebody. Sometimes we get... So we, we, we just interpret Scripture just as, well, we just, you just need a supernatural work of God. Well, great, but I don't know about you. I can't make that happen. I can ask for it. I can hope for it. I can trust for it. I can teach into it. But I also have to ask myself the question, ministry is not just about prayer. It's about practicalities. What can I do? What suffering can I alleviate? What practical solution can I come up with? You know, we, as a church, God bless the Lutherans that built this building, but they were not thinking about accessibility when they built it. Even, even, even recently, we had people emailing us saying, hey, I want to come to your church, but I'm in a wheelchair. Can I come? And we're like, not yet. You know, maybe you can solve that problem. Maybe you've got the solution. How can we make this place more accessible? Let's be desperate for Jesus. Let's be desperate for him. 
See, if you have a physical ailment, allow God to use that to, to cause you to push deeper into him. If you're somebody who's like, you know, my life is going pretty good. I'm pretty healthy. I'm on the right track. You know, I'm pretty stable. I've got a lot of good stuff going on. You have to, you have to constantly remind yourself, I'm living in an, in an illusion because I could lose health, wealth, stability at any time. I'm living in a bubble where I think my life is okay, but actually life is so fragile. Life can be taken away any second. I'm in constant, desperate need of God's help. And so I need to push into Jesus more than ever. And all of the opposition I face, all the trials I face, all the storms I face, that's water for the crop. That's water for the harvest that God wants to bring a blessing. And then when the blessing comes, the trouble comes and you say, all right, Jesus, let's borrow some stuff. Let's borrow some stuff and fix these problems together. Let's sing to Jesus. Let's turn our hearts and allow our hearts to get warm and soft and open to Jesus through song and through worship that we might rely on him all the more, that we might press into him and trust him all the more.